0: Now having the harmony group there was kind of uh, the fruit of these uh, meetings we have once a month. And uh, it's, it's great to have that uh, harmony throughout the, the congregation as it reminds us of uh, just the, the beauty and the creativity and uh, the marvel of, of God's uh, person and uh, the beauty that music can be for us. Now, I'd like to turn uh, with you, or if you would turn with me, back to Job. Uh, the beginning of this uh, amazing book in the Old Testament. So again, we're kind of doing a second scene setting, as it were, because we're still in the prologue of Job. Uh, There's a lot more to it. There's a a big, weighty middle section uh, where uh, there's this dialogue between uh, Job and his three friends and eventually God. And then there's the end, uh, the epilogue of the book as well. But we're still in the prologue here. And uh, what we have here is things that we can see and things that we can't see, or things that we see and things that have been revealed to us that we aren't able ordinarily to see, in other words. And uh, that's uh, one of the important uh, foundational introductory truths of this book. Um, there's things here in church that we can see. Uh, there's things that we know about ourselves Um, But there's other things, obviously, that are unseen and we can't see. For example, if I say today, you know, because I wouldn't want in any way, at any point, to embarrass anybody, but if I can ask you to do a really good Scottish Highland thing, or maybe not Highland, no, no, Scottish kind of thing, which is to put up your hands, but in your heart. So no one actually has to see you. So you can, if you put up your hands in your heart, if you read through Job twice this week, like I asked you to do last week, You see, now no one can see that. So no one's embarrassed. I can see you all. Put your hands up, those who were here last week. This is great. Well done. Um, But, you know, there's things we can see and there's things we can't see. And I would encourage you again, if you haven't done it, read through the book of Job twice. It will not take long. And it's important to get the whole of the story as you look at the book and not just... um, uh, kind of wait in anticipation for what each, each chapter and each section might say. So there's two things here. There's faith we can see. And then there's a world that ordinarily we can't see, but that is revealed to us here by God in his word. So there's a faith that we can see. And in verse 8, uh, we have uh, uh, God... Uh, Uh, Speaking to the Lord, speaking to Satan, have you considered my servant Job uh, that there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Do you recognize these words? Yes, because they've already been spoken. So they've been spoken twice already in the early verses. The verse one, this was Job who was a blameless and upright man, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. So we've got Job's, uh, God's summary of Job and the book's summary of Job that this is the kind of person he was. He was unique in his day. He was probably in many ways unique uh, throughout the whole Old Testament, at least on a par with one or two others, uh, great people of faith in the Old Testament. He had this, and I'm, I'm using this word advisedly, he had a passive faith. Okay, and by that I mean that he feared God, he trusted in God, he relied on God. He had a relationship with God that was based on our relationship with God, that is on faith and on uh, the saving work of uh, Jesus Christ, even though that was in the future to him. He still looked forward to that Savior who, uh, through sacrifice he could see, uh, was forgiveness of sins. He repented uh, and he rested in God and here his faith was being trusted. That's what I mean by passive uh, faith he had. He he was resting in God for his salvation. It's very important. But also, uh, he had active obedience in his life. He was was blameless and upright. That is, as we saw last week in his life, uh, it wasn't that he was perfect, but rather he... uh, was not hypocritical and he didn't have secret sins that he was keeping to, but at that level, he took all his sins before God and he was blameless and upright. He was straight down the line and he shunned evil. So that's amazing. And someone said that at our city group uh, on Wednesday night, and it, it really it was powerful uh, that we talk about what Job was able to do in resisting. Uh, cursing God and dying uh, through the suffering he went through, but remember also how difficult it is for rich and wealthy people to not turn their backs on God either. He had all the temptations of power and wealth and opulence and uh, all that goes with that, and yet he shunned evil. He was a holy guy. He was a holy person, and. Uh, He had this active obedience in his life, and I think that's very important today. I think it's unfashionable to be holy, and it's unfashionable to talk about obedience as if it's some kind of legalistic way of earning our righteousness before God. And it's not that, but it's because we love him that we seek to be blameless and upright and holy before him. And maybe tonight we'll see a lot more about that as we look at the Beatitudes again in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and uh, this faith we can see was a faith that even satan could recognize was blessed you know satan says that you know you've blessed the work of his hands he's blessed he's in uh, satan could see uh, and while there's no see- simple formula to the blessing that he uh, enjoyed as we will go on to unpack as we look at this book he he has already known the blessings uh, through his his life and his family and his uh, wealth and his possessions and all that he had. And he is also going to know blessing through darkness. So as we go through Job, we will need our seatbelts on. We will need our seatbelts as we go through Job because it's not uh, a typical book for us to go through. And it's not sometimes what we ordinarily think about God. We will learn uh, great things about God. Because there's a faith here that we can see and that we can mimic and imitate. Great for us to be blameless and upright, who shun evil, every one of us is Christians. It's a great thing to fear God, that is to worship him, to love him, to serve him, to be in repentance and rest with him. And as we do that, we seek to learn more about God. And so God reveals himself here in a world that we can't ordinarily see. So we have, in verses 6 to 12, we have the curtains pulled back on a spiritual world that ordinarily we don't know and we don't see. We don't see it as we look around us. We don't see it in our day-to-day lives. We don't see this spiritual uh, communication, the spiritual uh, world uh, that is revealed to us by faith here and revealed in Scripture. Now, many people ask the question today, is this all there is? And as believers, as Christians, we have come to the place where we say no. There is much more than what we can merely see and feel and touch. There's much more than just the material. There is the spiritual and there is this unseen world. And here, at the beginning of Job, we are given this insight into the character and nature of God, but also his interaction uh, with Satan and with evil. Now, there is much, and I will probably say this a lot over this series, there's a lot of mystery that remains and we don't have all the answers. But nonetheless, uh, we have, uh, we are challenged by a good God here and uh, a good God who faces and who interacts with malevolence and with evil. And also, as we widen our perspective spiritually, uh, through the whole of Scripture, we recognize that God is intimately involved in answering the problem of evil and, uh, and suffering. And that is something we need to deal with And because probably it's the most common question that people ask who are not Christians, who are not believers. How can you believe in a God who allows evil or who... Uh, um, uh, commands or who oversees a world in which there is such evil. Now, again, I say there's no trite and easy answers to that. But we must face up to what Scripture reveals and what it says for our own individual lives and uh, for uh, the world in which we live. Because there's this dramatic dialogue that's going on here, uh, primarily between God and Satan, uh, other uh, sons of God coming to the presence of God, uh, but there's this amazing dialogue. I think it's fair to say that this was unseen to Job. I think his suffering and battles and struggles would have been ameliorated somewhat if he knew uh, that this battle was or this uh, dialogue had uh, happened in heaven. It was unseen to Job. It presumably was revealed at some point uh, retrospectively. But it's seen to us. We have a different story here to Job's. And it's seen to us through revelation and by revelation. And the why does remain in the Bible, and I'll mention that towards the end in a very specific way. But here we have certain truth revealed. And it's significant, and important truth. It tells us about the nature of Satan. And it tells us, at least in part, about the nature of God. And therefore... Uh, our understanding and our response to these things because there's a similarity there's not a great deal spoken about satan in the bible and that's good but there's stuff spoken here and there's stuff spoken in genesis 3 that give us an insight into his mind and his character and his way of working it helps us to understand him and now, while we don't want to give undue prominence to him, we recognize and know that he's our spiritual enemy as Christians, and uh, it is important to know and understand uh, how he works. We see in the first place, now I'm not great for alliteration, but just I, I didn't deliberately do it, it just happened to work out, okay? Uh, the first thing we see about him here is he's dismissive of God. In uh, verse 9 and 10, he speaks to God. You know, God... Uh, Offers uh, the life of Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? And in verse 9, Satan answers the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And so he's uh, dismissive. He's dismissive of God's assessment of Job's character. He says basically to God, You've got it wrong. I've been here before, Satan says, in Genesis 3 I was here and I I didn't have to do too much to uh, turn Adam and Eve away from you and to turn their faces from you and to tell them and to uh, get them to rebel against you. I've been there. I know what humanity is like. You can't trust them. He only wants uh, to honor you because you've blessed him and because of his wealth and his riches and everything else. I've seen humanity fail before and in that case they were perfect. He's saying to God, there's no hope for sinners. Give up on sinners. Give up on people, God. He says, you've got the assessment wrong. I know things better here. He's dismissive of God. Can you imagine that? God, he's he's tempting God. Can I use that word carefully? To say, don't waste your time and your energy on trying to build a renewed relationship with humanity. They will let you down. They will fail you completely and utterly. And he's dictatorial. Not only is he dismissive, he's dictatorial. He tells God what to do. He says, you know, if you stretch out your hand and touch my Satan's here commanding God. He is wanting God to act like he would act. That's what Satan would do, and he wants God to do the same. And he is dictating to him. And he's also dictating to God the kind of response that job would give you. He'll curse you. That is what Satan himself would do dictatorial, and he's divisive because what he is seeking to do is bring division between God and uh, his faithful servant and all those who believe in him by faith. With his whole being, he hates all that God is, and he hates the love, and he hates community, and he hates faithfulness, and he hates blamelessness, and he hates uh, one who is Jews and who turns away from evil, so he seeks to be divisive to hate and to separate. And he is destructive. We'll not really look at that today. Uh, But when he is permitted to act, he is ruthless. He is vicious. He shows no mercy. He is absolutely evil. We'll see a little bit more but as we look at uh, what happens next week. But can we remember these things? And you say, well, this is all very esoteric, I'm sure, in the unseen world and spiritual realities. But can I ask you to consider the reality or the outworking sometimes of sinful, a remaining sinful human nature in our lives and uh, in uh, what we see and what we interact with and what we struggle with sometimes in our life, being dismissive of God. When we feel and sense that attitude welling up within us, dismissive against God, dictatorial God, this is how you should act. This is what you should do. Divisive, away from God, turning from him, ignoring him, rejecting him, or destructive. Even in the choices we make, the things we do, uh, the uh, pleasures that we seek. There's something for us to consider. So we have there the nature of Satan, but we also, uh, in this passage, have the nature of God. And it's one that maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable with in 21st century Western civilization, Uh, but it's one of unquestionable sovereignty. That's what we have here. We have uh, God revealed as unquestionably sovereign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, It's difficult for us. It's very clear here, but it's very difficult for us because I think our mentality and our, our philosophical kind of underpinning is very often it's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about humanity. It's all about what we've achieved and what we can do and what we can learn and what we can um, understand about this world in which we live. And so the idea of a sovereign God, of a uh, an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful God is one that sits very uncomfortably with us. Uh, I think sometimes we're a little bit like uh, the uh, command at the end of Lord of the Rings where it was said to the hobbits, you know, you bow to no one. (laughs) I can't quite work out how. Does that make us all hobbits? Uh, But we're, you know, we have that mentality. We bow to no one sometimes. And uh, it's difficult for us in our Christian lives to move beyond the Uh, Jesus as Savior into Jesus as Lord of our lives. But here is unquestioning sovereignty. Uh, The angelic beings ushered into his presence, both heavenly and uh, those who are fallen, come into the presence of God. Do you believe that? Do we believe that unseen world that's revealed to us here? I think, you know, sometimes it can be hard for us. But if we don't, Well, let's scrap it all. Let's get rid of everything. Because if there is no unseen world, then there is no gospel. There is no divine savior. There is no cross. There is nothing for us. We are purely naturalistic and materialistic in our understanding without this reality that this is all there is it's just change one word is this all there is and I do think it's important to challenge people sometimes about that uh, concept and that reality because I think deep down many people recognize and know that this is not all there is so God Uh, is unquestionably sovereign in who he brings. It's clearly a picture of a throne room uh, before whom they stand. And it is God who introduces Job into the equation. We saw that briefly last week. You know, have you considered my servant Job? God isn't reactive here. God isn't responding to some evil plot and plan that Satan has made. It is God who brings this test case before the throne, before the audience that he has. And uh, we saw a little bit about why that might have been the case uh, last week. God is in control. God has his purpose here. And uh, mysterious though it is, it should also for us have a degree of comfort because God is seeking to show the significance and the importance and the value of a living faith and how it can improve on, as it were, what happened at the very beginning. And it can be something that resists and defeats and overcomes evil. So God introduces Job into the occasion and God permits Satan to act. Now, I think this is very difficult. I, I wouldn't shy from that reality. But I think a God that's great enough to worship, a God God that's sovereign and omnipresent, is also a God uh, who uh, is worth trusting in the things that we can't fully understand. But he permits Satan to act. And I think there's an important difference here because Satan says, you put your hand on Job. You deal with him and remove everything from him. God says to Job, all that he has is in your hand. Job uh, is... Per, uh, God permits Satan to act. God says, not by my hand, but it must be by your hand. God is not the author here of evil. He's the enactor. He allows it to happen. He permits it within constraints, within, restricts, uh, within restriction, within limits. He's a higher purpose that we can't clearly see at this point but evil is not sovereign can you see how important and significant that is even if we can't understand why evil is allowed to remain even though there's promises of its defeat Uh, evil is not sovereign evil is on a leash good overcomes in the story which is why i think it's important to know the whole story faith triumphs i'm saying it's not easy but in our limited understanding, in our limited understanding of goodness and in our fallibility, we simply need to recognize that this is the, God, the good God who is acting here and who is constraining and restraining and keeping evil on a leash in this instance. Now, this is a very poor illustration. I'll probably get it wrong. You know me well enough to know how bad my illustrations are. But they're important nonetheless to try and get across the great difference between uh, someone, a drug addict coming to you with a six-inch needle and seeking to damage and uh, destroy your life and between a nurse coming to you with a six-inch needle uh, or to your child who is on your knee to give them a life-saving injection. Now, that little child on your knee might look absolutely confused and in terror up at you as their parent when they see this knife, this this needle coming towards them, and you have to deal with that, and that is a hard place to be as a parent, but you know it's for their good, and you know the pain will be ultimately for their good, different from it being in the hand of someone who is evil and malevolent and vicious. Now I know there, you could look at that, and that you could introduce all kinds of, you know. Uh, Areas where it doesn't work. <laughs> but I hope that it gives a basic picture of sometimes what we c- is not easy for us to understand. But here we have the nature of God being revealed in a very powerful way, his unquestionable sovereignty, and before him we should bow. Because if he is only a God we have in our back pocket, if he's only a God to whom who is accountable to us. If he is a God who we will only follow and serve as long as he does what we want, then it will be very difficult for us to worship him and very difficult for us to understand him. Because that takes me to where I must finish, which is the astonishing reversal that is foreshadowed in these early events. Because it's difficult to read the book of Job and it's difficult to look at the book of Job and much of the Old Testament without the perspective and the prism of the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't wrestle with a good God who permits and allows evil without that uh, prism to look through, without that perspective. And by faith we come to know and understand how important the cross of Jesus Christ is to understanding who we are and understanding how we react to one another and how we deal in mercy with one another and how we understand God. Because at the cross, if I can be permitted to lurch forward to the cross, if you'll allow me to do that, uh, we can hear, as it were, the words of Christ to Satan saying, I... I'm in your hands. Can you see that? That the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes and he says to Satan, I am in your hands. Do with me your worst. Pour out your vicious evil and brutality on me. Do it. Do what you can. Absolutely invent the very worst for me because I'm doing it for my people and I'm doing it in their place. So you have, unless you have this picture of a sovereign king who is sovereign over the universe and over life and death and over everything, it makes the cross kind of puny and small and just a guy who died in a cross. But when we have this sovereign king who says and who gives himself into the hands of Satan on our behalf, this powerful one who becomes a child, this pure one, this holy one who washes feet, who goes hungry and thirsty, who is a, a vagrant and, and homeless, does that not, does that not uh, focus and, and maybe change our thinking about the current crisis uh, hitting the, the borders of Europe? We become judgmental and, and dis- distance from it because somehow we feel uh, it's a terrible situation that has nothing to do with us and it wasn't Christ the one who was dr- driven out of his home to a foreign land. Oh, but that's different. Don't think so. So there's this Christ, this great God, this God who comes and goes and faces the darkness of the cross and the forsakenness of the cross because he loved you and because he loves me and because he wants us to be protected and able by faith to overcome and know a future with him where evil is destroyed and taken. And that's the gospel. And that is where we always must channel our uh, doubts and fears about the goodness of God and about the reality of suffering in the lives of people because on the cross, he suffered like nobody has ever suffered. God enters a black hole of suffering and uh, we mustn't minimize the cross. He does so voluntarily because our plight was moving. He, you know, this is God just so different from Satan saying, I am committed to this people. Uh, our plight moves him to act on our behalf because we couldn't uh, make ourselves right with God. He's vicarious. I'm being uh, alliterative again and he was a victim on the cross in our place and he was victorious Evil's defeated so that his promises are that suffering while remaining is turned on its head and will one day end evil has been trumped by good and he has won the victory now I'm not saying I'm not minimizing people's suffering and people's pain. But what I'm saying is that there's we can hold on to Jesus Christ through it. And he promises to take us through it. Therefore our faith is educated by the revelation that God gives us of himself. Our faith, like Jobs, comes from God. And it's strong. It can uh, resist, as it did here, the the strongest opposition from Satan And as we serve him, we can know his empowerment and his forgiveness and his grace and his purpose. But we do need as Christians to be plugged into Christ. So important for us to be reliant and dependent and learning of Jesus Christ, praying to him, not just as individuals, but as people, as a community, as a church, in the engine room, that we are people who are just pouring out this uh, transformed reality because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. So we will go on and look a great deal at this book and some of the issues that are involved and uh, seek by God's grace to know him and love him better. But I do crave your prayers. Uh, I asked for them last week and I do pray for them. I ask for them throughout this series. Uh, It's great truth. Uh, but it needs God's wisdom and God's grace, both in preaching and in hearing it and responding to it in our lives. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we ask and pray that you would bless our time together, bless our time around your word, bless worship and fellowship, bless the baptism which uh, we uh, now look forward to, and uh, remember us, we pray, as we deal with these weighty issues, but what issues we hope, we can take with us into every day that can mean something that can transform our dark experiences uh, even though we might not be taken from them it may give us great, tremendous sympathy and empathy for those who we know and love who are struggling with opposition, with uh, depression with difficulty, with struggles um, and may we know your blessing as a people seeking to uphold and care for one another. And I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, help us to learn. That your Holy Spirit would fill us, would guide us, would uh, teach us, and would uh, inspire us to worship you. Uh, not just here together, but in every moment of every day that we live. Living sacrifices. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.